Welcome to Algo, a lot going on with Raj Architecture number one podcast in Dubai. And in today's episode, we are talking about Beyonce. She's just wrapped up her show here in Dubai. We didn't get a chance to go, but we watched it vicariously through our friends' Instagrams. We're going to talk about that. We're going to break down the deal. Was it 24 million? If it was, was it worth it? Was it a steal or was it too much to pay? We've got arguments on both sides, but we've got a very clear position. And I'm sure we're going to make you feel that way by the end of the point that we've made, as well as Flowrider when it comes to big money. He's just got 82 million because he was associated to an energy drink. He's won a court case. We're going to break down that court case and how he got it and what that might mean for the future of endorsements with music stars. Also, Usain Bolt is down a few mil, 12 million to be exact. We're going to find out exactly how that happened. India is now the number one country in the world by population. What does that mean? Twitter has banned third-party apps. That continues to be the soap opera of the century when it comes to technology and a bunch of other stories as well that we go rapid fire through, plus some incredible shout-outs, including one for somebody who's on our Algo editorial team. Joining me on the show, as always, is Vic. What's up, man? This was a, this was a really interesting episode. We went kind of long, but lots and lots of detail. I think we've analyzed a lot of really good uh, stories that have happened uh, recently, and uh, I'm looking forward to the feedback on this one. Yeah, I think this is one of the best breakdowns of the Beyonce Beyonce Dubai story that's happened this week. You know, she was in town to do a concert and Hove was around. So the, a good chunk of that. And what else did we go long on in this episode? Flowrider? Uh, so, yeah, and and um, your visit to Jaru Ashanti and Fat Joe concert. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mention that. That was incredible as well. We break that down in detail. So it's a long episode, nearly a couple of hours. But, you know, just go through the chapters, jump to the bits you like. And if you do check out the whole thing, uh, make sure you let us know. But in either case, five-star ratings and reviews, comments, likes is all super appreciated. Without any further ado, let's get into the show. All right. Well, it's about that time to get into it. It's the full teardown of the outsider's view of the Beyonce show at the Royal Atlantis. Of all of the swanky events I've seen, I would almost say to a certain extent, maybe even including Expo, this has had a tremendous amount of buzz going. The who's who, the glitterati of Dubai was there and it looked like a hell of a show. It looked like it would it looked like it had been rethought from the ground up. It looked like it was a level above Coachella. Beyonce looked like she was on super form. I think a whole bunch of people living near Atlantis the Palm would have also got a bit of a free show out of it because it looks like the A V system was crazy. I've picked up some bits on Instagram, naughty bits, because People were told to put their phones in bags, Dave Chappelle style, so they can't use their mobile phones. But opportunists being opportunists did manage to get some clips and put them out on their stories, which was then quickly picked up by the big Instagram media outlets here in Dubai, who then posted it on their walls. And that gave us a glimpse into what happened uh, last night's show, which did look pretty incredible. Vic, we've not spoken about this all day. What are your thoughts? And also, let me just say, I'm so glad that Jay-Z didn't perform because this would have been an unbearable story had he done so. Okay, thoughts, Vic? Yeah, I agree. I don't think Jay-Z should have performed. I'm glad he didn't. Yeah, man, listen, from what I could see, this is probably this is probably the biggest concert in terms of not just the name of the artist, like who the artist is, but in terms of everything that has surrounded the whole 
concert. Now, we're not just talking about one night. Like, it wasn't just last night. The Beyonce performance, there was the Beyonce performance. There was the after party. There was the opening or, like, this kind of, you know, opening of the Royal Atlantis Hotel, which is, like, the Palm... Uh, sorry, the Atlantis Number 2, which is on the Palm. And all the influences that were invited there for the night before, the dinner, the Nobu experience the after party, the kind of pre-party, the red carpet. So this became like a whole two-day like extravaganza. And I think the phone thing is interesting because uh, like my personal opinion is that that was obviously done to to make sure that there was like this kind of clandestine thing about it. But, you know, it got leaked, it got leaked, it got leaked. But the reality is I'm sure that people were strategically placed to put content out across the whole weekend but specifically the show but Beyonce's show I mean that looked that looks like a a show to beat I don't think there's many if any artists on the planet right now that could do a show like that that from what I saw online it looked outlandish I mean she she finished up in the middle of the fireworks and the fountains and the fire show that that happens within the kind of Within the Atlantis, they've got a like a, a fountain show, which is water, and combined with a fire show within the fire within the fountain show, plus the fireworks, and she was elevated on this like massive pole in between all of that. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be beating that anytime soon, from what I saw. Okay, so let me just break some of those bits down. Firstly, you said after party. What after party? There was there was like some after party at the Royal Atlantis Hotel. I think, if I'm not mistaken, from what I see on on social. Oh wait, so Atlantis. I know that after her performance, I know Bliss. I know after her performance, Swedish House Mafia performed. Yeah, I think Swedish House Mafia, and I think DJ Bliss was performing. If I'm not mistaken, okay. If I'm not mistaken, um, and so that was just like you know, just like an after party after the concert for the people that went to the concert and that are staying at the Royal Atlantis or were able to go. So that was the after party. So there was that. Plus, like, the pre-stuff that was happening, which was, like, you know, all these influencers were um, invited to Nobu, um, which was the opening of Nobu, as well as the hotel, as well as the Beyonce concert. So it was stacked upon stacked upon stacked. So that value prop was was, <laughs> was really something significant. I think as well, it looked like it was pretty interesting because everyone looked like they kind of, like, nobody looked like they were just, like, mad thirsty or whatever. Like, everyone seemed pretty cool about the whole thing, which was nice. And a big shout out to uh, Sonal and Ash over at IA Management that put the whole thing together. Uh, they've been in charge of so many big campaigns here from like Steve Harvey, Mariah Carey, all those. They're quickly becoming like the fixers for like AAA list celebrities here in the region. So, man, it's good. It's good to see like Northwest London Indians doing these kind of deals. Do you know what I mean? Come a long way from like, you know, what they call daytimers or whatever like your your generation was doing. <laughs> Uh, in London. So no, it's dope, man. It's really, really, really impressive. It looked like it was a lot of fun. I think at first I did think to myself, I was like, it is so exclusive and so well managed. And lots of our friends were there, lots of them. And I actually wanted to get, I actually reached out to two of them today, but I think it might've been too short notice or maybe the party is still going on at Royal Atlantis. But I said, you know, come on here and uh, and review it for us. But, but no word back, maybe at some point, well, definitely at some point, we're going to hear from some people that were there. But it looked, it looked good. I mean, first it was the who's who of the Dubai scene. Also, interestingly as well, like a lot of Jay-Z's inner circle, like his crew was out with him. You know what I mean? And I thought that was really, really dope. There were some pictures today circulating on Instagram 
and they've been taken down. I think it was by Lenny oh. S or somebody else. Yeah, like somebody put some posters up and uh, uh, pictures up, and then they've been taken down. But all the Rock Boys, the Rock Nation gang, yep. were all in uh, tuxes and just looking fly. Steve Stout was in in the country, and there was a lot of people, you know. And then, and of course, there's there's going to be a few pictures. There's a few fanboy pictures. I think that fanboy position is almost difficult to to not have with your body language when you're stood next to Hove. First one that came out, I think, a day beforehand was with Amir Khan. Uh, the boxing boxing guy from uh, from Bolton. And uh, yeah, man, it was just a vibe. And then from what I hear from folks that were in there, uh, I think Hove did a walkthrough the day before, like five minutes, just walked through, did a walkthrough. I mean, it might not have been a paid walkthrough. I don't want to insult him by saying that. But like, you know, he, he did pull up at a party for like five, 10 minutes and hit a cabana and then bounce again. And I recognized some people in the cabana. I'd able to quickly figure out uh, who was involved with the event. So yeah, man, super Super dope, really, really good for the city, man. And I think it would be a, a nice tee up if she did this. It was her first show in five years, and it was kind of the kickoff for her world tour, which is on the way. So a ton of press, a couple of other bits and pieces noticed on this. I think one of the reasons about making sure that there was no content being taken is it looked like it was a high octane, high risk show. If something had gone wrong, they don't necessarily want that leaking out too much. Secondly, you know, 12 hours after the show, 15 hours after the show, we start to see a lot of well-produced, high-definition footage coming out on Instagram, which lets me think that this could be a part two to Beyonce's Netflix Coachella documentary, which was incredibly impressive, and this could be a part two. Another thing that I've thought, which is quite interesting, which I always talk about on this uh, segment as well, is this number completely unvalidated, but it has latched to the community of 24 million US dollars for Beyonce and everyone freaking out and being like, that's this many thousand dollars per minute of performance and rare, rare, rare. But on a cost adjusted basis, considering the uplift for the country, 24 million doesn't seem like that much. I mean, I don't know that these are the real numbers, but you don't have to be like a veteran of the entertainment industry to be like, okay, well, if it was 24 million payout, Maybe 10 to 15% would have gone to, let's say, the booking agent. Then a certain percentage would have gone to management. So you can already trim off, you know, five to seven million there. And then you've got a massive crew of entertainers that came out with a costume, set design, insurance. Everybody landed, accommodation. There's, 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 a, there's a lot to go with it. And, and I think this is the number one mistake that people have made when it comes to this number of 24 million US dollars for Beyonce coming to perform here. They're conflating two different types of numbers. They're conflating a performer's fee for which 24 million is high and the amount of money a country invests to promote the country of which 24 million is low. So people that have got a narrow view are looking at 24 million for Beyonce and being like, that's too much money. They're not thinking about the deductibles like, management fees and costs and things of that nature. And they're not looking at the fact that, especially for Dubai, where Dubai is right now, 24 million US dollars, if that's what was invested, is a drop in the ocean, considering that it's activated a luxury hotel and also been great for the eyeballs of the whole country. Every single popular Instagram account in quote unquote the culture, hip hop culture, has posted about this today worldwide. That's gonna drive real travel and tourism to Dubai. Dude. It's it's literally, it's literally a marketing campaign for Dubai, and 
they're not strangers to it and they're not strangers to putting up big money for big names to come over to do big things. That's what Dubai is known for. Now, I'm not kind of leaning into this like Habibi come to Dubai type thing because, you know, we've spoken about the middle class and the ordinary kind of folk here. But Dubai still has a responsibility to Dubai to make sure that it markets itself properly. Now, the Atlantis number two, this Royal Atlantis is a huge, it's a huge thing for Dubai. It's massive. So they've got to do it on like the right way. Now, here's the craziest thing. There's like, ima- imagine this, right? The, if Which other artist in the world could they get that could have the impact for that number? I don't think there is another one. Like if, if there's any other artist, they'd probably be like, it's too much money. But then for Beyonce, for the most part, you can kind of justify it. Does that make sense? So I think there's you could, not you, many there's other artists a, in the world. Any Super Bowl artist. So I would say Coldplay, Maroon 5, Justin Timberlake, Bruno Mars, Lady Gaga. I think there's a lot. There's a, there's a, there's a lot. Now, I, I do believe that Beyonce's at the top of her game. And has sat on that throne for a very long time, and that separates her from Taylor Swift and all these other bits, you know people that have great pop records. But I reckon there could have been a couple of other candidates in there. I don't know, man. I think Beyonce has more universal appeal than Coldplay, Lady Gaga. <clears throat> you know, no, she does. She does. She but if she couldn't make it, if she couldn't make it, somebody would have been on that stage if it wasn't Beyonce. Yeah, if it wasn't Beyonce, and that was, she wasn't even in the conversation, you had Lady Gaga. You know, it would be. It'll be huge as well. But I think because Beyonce traverses so many different genres, including the urban you know, music world, and then you put Jay-Z in the mix as well, mm. the biggest and greatest hip-hop artist of all time, well, then you're in a situation where you've got this kind of double whammy. And again, there is no other artist that has that that appeal, right? Number one, the broad appeal. And number two, the kind of Jay-Z factor that, you know, he plays somewhat second fiddle in this scenario, in this specific scenario. Um, but but again, his appeal is huge. And then again, you know, the the, the, the kind of glitterati and the who's who kind of thing, quote unquote, of, of Dubai, you know, they're going to be more gassed to see Beyonce perform than Coldplay, I believe. Mm, yeah, 100%. She has just... Beyonce is a much rarer, harder to access artist and a harder... I'm, I'm so glad I've seen her a bunch of times already because I feel like at this stage in her career, the barrier to entry to see her is really, really difficult. So yeah, no, Beyonce, without a doubt, is, is she's in a league by herself, but I just feel like, you know, there are some other people that should she have been not been able to make it for any reason, would have been, you know, would have, would have packed that place and made it super, super interesting. But Beyonce... There's a certain magic, you know, there's a, cer- she, she, there's a certain iconic nature to her that we've not seen since, you know, the, the likes of like peak Madonna, peak Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? It's like that kind of, that kind of thing. So yeah, amazing. How, how do you think this could stretch out? To me, you know, extending into Netflix as a like long form, high definition streaming video uh, would be incredible, like documentary. Number two, I would say... Uh, it would be interesting if at this time every year, peak winter, into January, high tourism, if the Atlantis did the Middle East Entertainment Awards, just take that same weekend of every single year and have a marquee artist come and perform. So I'm talking about 
Elton or Coldplay or, or, or fill in the blanks and then go all out and actually make that the Netflix, make that the Netflix show, like license that out. Because if the Atlantis paid 24 million, handed it over to the team, is it Parkwood? What's, what's their group called? Or Rock Nation or any combination of them? If you hand over 24 million and you also get the footage and a Netflix distribution deal, which will then generate hundreds of millions in tourism, I mean, 20, actually, I'll, I'll, let me come out and say this. I think 24 million is low. If that's the wire, that's a small bag, considering the upside that they got on a macro cost-adjusted long-term basis. 24 yeah, million mean, is a steal. 20, 24, million, yeah, $24 million is a steal for Beyonce, if that's what was paid. It's literally free. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The return on that 24 million, you, you know, over the long term is huge. Over the short term is you you know well just over any term is is massive like you can't you can't really put a price on having beyonce come and open the biggest resort to open in dubai in a very 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 long time so the biggest artist on the planet opening the biggest and kind of best resort in dubai that 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 dubai has seen for a really long time you can't really put a price on it and i think i agree with you it's if 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 it's not free it's it's pennies on the dollar, do you know what I mean? It's so mm. cheap because, they, look, they're going to make that money back within the next year without a shadow of a doubt, if not even less, because I can't, I don't even want to start thinking about the price of the suites there. And, you know, like the high rollers are going to come in, they're going to see that place, they're going to be like, I want to stay there because it's the new hot, you know, hotel on the on the block and they're all going to be in the suites and there's probably going to be plenty of suites they're like there's going to be an abundance of suites that are going to cost a pretty penny plus 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 you know all the other stuff that comes with it all the dinners the brunches this that the other it's 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 it, they're going to make their money back probably even within six months i reckon i don't even know the numbers but it's yeah. like this kind of kind of wacky little thing i'm saying but but yeah in terms of how this could stretch out netflix i think is on the cards i don't think that's a doubt because you know quite quite rightly you said Co coachella and i think this is not coachella but it, it, it's a it's another kind of what do they call it like bow in the uh, armory or whatever they call it like you know it's just another thing another for, another, for, another another string on the bow another string on the bow yes yeah. so it's another thing for beyonce to basically put out and go okay well look you know my tour is coming up just promo 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 you know and just keep doing it and and i and she'll have all the bts stuff all the kind of you know rehearsals and the planning and you know the meetings with all the dignitaries and the walkthroughs and all of that stuff that people want to see like the peak behind and you know what's even crazier about that is that people i think around the world are now very interested in Dubai again as we've discussed everyone wants to see behind the curtains of like what Beyonce is doing about a concert everyone loves that but if they can double that and see what's happening in Dubai like behind the scenes of a of like a massive event being produced then people are going to be really interested in Netflix getting that you know again Netflix investing in that for them it's a steal as well because mm. people are going to be like more eyeballs on Netflix as a result of Beyonce being on they're doing one of the biggest shows this year like without mm. a doubt one of the biggest one night shows this year in terms of a middle east entertainment awards i don't really know like when you say entertainment awards like what do you mean like entertainment from around this region or globally no like, no no mean? like a, a, i think they just once a year same weekend same space they have a huge 
concert, you know, and they invite people because they can repeat this formula again with artists that might cost less and with, a, a, you know, a content capture, uh, a smaller opportunity or a smaller kind of like leverage. So maybe every single year it doesn't go to Netflix or maybe every single year it does. You know what I mean? Like this year it was a one hour concert by Beyonce. Next year it's a one hour concert by Bruno Mars. The following year it's a one hour concert by, and you know, just keep continues to fill in the blanks. So that means that every single year the Royal Atlantis show, the annual Royal Atlantis Entertainment Award could do that. Now, do you remember in the 80s or 90s uh, when South Africa got Miss World, there was a place down there called Sun City and it was known for that. So I, I imagine some sort, of, some sort of play like that where you've got this like geographically synonymous, unique entertainment offering that then over a decade can become kind of like iconic and you know, like its own little kind of franchise. Well, here's the thing based on, I've not seen the space. I've only seen what I've seen vicariously through all these Instagram posts. And it looks like it could be a concert venue or at least be created into a concert venue when they need it. So I think it's probably going to happen more than once a year. They might have this like big marquee artist. In fact, what they might do is they might emulate like a Vegas style kind of residency or you know something along those lines perhaps so like kind of leaning in more into like the way that vegas sets up its concerts and shows and just kind of books out artists it could it could even be that because again vegas is built on tourism similar to dubai so you know the, the amount of people that come in even if it's like a monthly residency i'm not talking about every night like vegas but it could be a monthly or they might just have like a monthly show with different artists and they can you know, they might not pay the big ticket, 24 million, but even if they're investing, I don't know, five to seven million each month, it's nothing like in the grand scheme of like the return, you know, and you get your ticket, you get wrapped in, uh, you know, like a room and da, da 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 you get all that kind of stuff wrapped into your ticket, you know, they'll make their money back. So maybe it could even be more than just an annual event. Mm. Who knows? Mm, nice. Yep, well, that's that's the teardown. You know, I'm looking forward to getting into it. I think the majority of people that went there last night are still kind of like preoccupied, and I'm sure the networking opportunity is going to be insane. But we'll hold back on all that until we get one of our friends on who went along to it. Maybe we reach out to to Bliss or one of the guys and say, okay, tell us how it all went down. Um, but until then, you know, on that same night, and I have to apologize to, to our friend Sal because we were like ping-pong back and forth about potentially going to this show. And then about an hour and a half before, I got a message from a friend saying, uh, his friend has dropped out, can I come along? And I said, yes. So I was all the way the other side of town um, and a baby shower. And so I came down to Coca-Cola Arena to check out Ashanti and friends, those friends being Fat Joe, who was announced, Ja Rule, who was announced, and even Akon was there as well. Yeah, mm. good, good, good show. And I and I rang you, and we got into it a little bit earlier on today. And I and I gotta say, over a twenty-year window, twenty-one-year window. Although Fifty just did Super Bowl, and he's got an incredible, he's got this incredible capability now, and in properties that he's got in the TV world, power, and all that other stuff. When it comes to rapping and doing a show, and being kind of like studio accurate in terms of their, their vocal ability and performance ability. 
over a 20-year window, Ja Rule won. Ja Rule is wow. better today, and it's the only first time I've seen him. Ja Rule is better today than every 50 performance I've seen in person and online since 50's career. And I was at Get Rich or Die trying the first tour when Fabulous opened up for him. So I have seen a lot of 50 and many places. But Ja Rule, man, that dude can sing, rap, his breath control, his stage presence, his just charisma and personality and like facial work is 10 out of 10. This dude is really special. He also came out to uh, New York, which, oh, you know, yes. if, you're, nice. if you're from if you're from that world, you know that, yeah. that that really, that this is, this is that Cool and Dre sound when he walks out was incredible. Um, and then he just did hit after hit after hit after hit. Just incredible, man. But he's got hit after hit after hit. That's pretty much all he's got. Do you know what I mean? And and uh, so 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 rule over fifty. That's a you know I would say that's a big statement. But the thing is, they're very they're still very different, right? And their records are still very different. So the way that they get performed, you know, I think fifties fifties records, they're not. I don't think they're made for like the big show. You know, it's a guy rapping on stage, but whereas that, like, you know, Ja Rules and his whole camps thing is not about just kind of being a guy on stage. It's about the show. It's about the pop records. It's about the sing along. It's about the, you know, the, the duet. And, you know, it's, it's about hip hop and R&B. So that brings a different kind of vibe when you're doing a show, right? Now, so you know, maybe it's 50, 50s big show records, 50 having Dre behind him having some, so many incredible, like I've seen 50 live in arenas, Wankster goes off, I Get Money goes off, even mm. Candy Shop and all that, it all goes off. He's an arena artist. I was just talking about how he sounds when he's shouting on his microphone and then Tony Ayo's jumping around behind him, like filling in the back <laughs> quarter okay. of the sentence. It's just whack. I'm talking about Ja Rule's got that kind of ability to be like, okay, I sound like this in the studio, and I can give you that live now, plus with that kind of like random analog personality that comes with reciting your record live in front of people. You know what I mean? It's not so Fair. accurate that you may as well close your eyes and it's the studio because of course the guy's smiling and joking and laughing and doing all of his things. He really is a star. I think him detracting and going into like entrepreneurship is the mistake because when you look at stuff like Fire Festival and all the embarrassment that's come with that, you, it's bad because you look at a guy who's a rapper and think, you know what, if you just wraps that catalog right through, it'd have been fine. They were playing Ja Rule and Ashanti's videos, clips from their duets. And there was one of them in the clip where Ashanti's dressed up in a leather cat suit and they're going back and forth, boy chases girl. And I was like, that's Grease. That's John Travolta and Olivia uh, Newton-John. They took that whole, yeah. they took that whole schematic and they applied it to that video, which we in our early twenties would have seen that. But of course in your early twenties, you're not like, oh, cultural reference, you know what I mean? But when you look at it now in your 40s and you go, yo, this is so crazy. And they made the post-pubescent boy meets girl anthems of the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. You know what I mean? Like just the back and forth where they're singing to each other and asking it. You know how corny it is, right? Will you ride for me? Will you do this? Like all that kind of like teenage girl young 20s guy like asking each other what's their loyalty look like and all that kind of stuff but with that street edge to it these are great little candy pop records that that, yeah. that still sound amazing today and 
when you're in a room full of like women in their 30s and 40s, you understand what those records mean because they were for the chicks. Yeah, dude, completely. I mean, you know, you're talking about when you and I were at university, right? These were like huge records and just after graduating. And, you know, it is that kind of 18 year old, 20 year old, 21 year old. You're not even, you don't know what relationships look like. You just think it's one thing and they're like really playing into that. How was, uh, how was a shot? Actually, no, before we get into Ashanti, Akon, um, Akon came on for any of his own records or just that record with Ashanti. What's that record called? Uh, Bod- Body, something, Body on Me. Body on Me, yeah. That record's it was, called yeah, Body yeah, on Me, it, yeah, yeah. It's not, so, I don't so, think it's a great record, but, but is that the only record he did or did he do it in his own? Right, so so here's what happened. Let, let's take it from let's take it from the top. Firstly, big up to Colin Colion. He was the opening act DJ. I've not seen him in an arena. He did uh, two slots: one Dolo, and then one with Ashanti's uh, DJ. But the DJ was Hype Manning. So congratulations to him on getting that look. And then post Colion, we went into um, Fat Joe. Fat Joe comes out, red two piece. Sweatsuit, obviously iced out, short jewelry. Not the Fat Joe that we know from the 90s. Obviously, the Fat Joe that we've seen maybe in the last decade or so, who's a lot slimmer, a lot healthier, skin looking good, looking like wealth. Behind him, rich players behind him, uh, taking the video footage on his phone and, and a few other bits and pieces. So it wasn't a lot of Terror Squad guys on stage. He did it solo. He didn't have a hype man. I would say, looking at Fat Joe's performance on balance, it felt like a club club performance, something that you'd see at like bass or white or somewhere like that, but just transported into an arena. So it was good. It was good. It was enjoyable. Like, is it to me, is it weird when a fifty two year old guy says there's a lot of pretty young ladies in here tonight? Kinda weird. I think there's a way that that can be you know what I mean? Like I just it 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 it, it felt like he was older and I know he's owning it. But, you know, it just, it, that's what it was. I'd have liked to have seen, you know, one or two other guys up there with him, just adding it up there. But here's the thing. Fat Joe's not trying to be a rapper and he's not trying to be an arena performing artist. Fat Joe started off with DITC. He's an MC. And from yeah. that perspective, he sounds incredible. Now, if I'm not mistaken, pretty much all of the artists performed and did their vocal performance over playback, which means that they were actually basically singing over their own records. Never was this worse than when Akon came out. The first time we saw Akon was for We Taking Over. So Fat right. Joe segues into We Taking Over, and he goes, yo, this next record's from my little brother who's become as big as the biggest. And then you hear, it's great, it's hype, of course. I mean, that record's a phenomenal record. I think it was, was it? Heat makers or who did that record? I can't remember anyway. So, or maybe Cool Andre, I have no idea. But, you know, he comes out and then Akon comes out. And that's cool, you know. Akon just, Akon just looked like he was just like out, like Carrefour just realized he had no wraps in the house and just went to get some. So like jeans with like some red stuff underneath the ripped jeans, like inside the leg. And then like a red hoodie just like zipped up being like, oh my God, it's winter in Dubai. And then... You know, it was fine, but he was like super miming. Like, like it really looked like, it looked, I'll tell you what it looked like. It looked like when you've ever been to karaoke and someone's like, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. And then when they do it, they just mouth it and they don't sing it because they realize like, hang on a second, I'd have to yeah, use my yeah. actual voice. It was, it was so 
odd to me. And I've met Akon, nice guy, no disrespect. But it felt to me like he might have a throat issue and he doesn't want to work his throat for the vocals because on either side of the vocal performance, he would, you know, he'd talk to the crowd and he'd say stuff and the mic was clearly on, but it looked like he wasn't really trying to sing over his own his own stuff, you know what I mean? So that was good, then Akon. Then Fat Joe wraps up, a little bit more music, and then Ashanti comes out. Ashanti, obviously, she's a she's 42, she's my age. She's filled out. She looks incredible, curves in all the right places. Her style is a little bit like, you know, like corset with the like the bigness. Similar to how you saw Mary 10 years ago. Mary's just turned 50. Ashanti's 42. The catalog obviously doesn't run deep. Ashanti's catalog is more committed to like girl in her early 20s falling for somebody, having those initial conversations about love with that person. Uh, Mary, what's interesting about Mary's last 10 years of performances or 15 since I've been seeing her is that when Mary was doing songs in her 20s, she was singing like a woman in her 60s who'd been divorced 18 times. That was in her 20s. So now that she's in her 50s, it's full circle. Whereas Ashanti's not got that level of pain. But when she does sing songs like Rain On Me or Happy because they are lighter, more melodic, less gospel records, they sound amazing. And the feel-good factor and the connection with the crowd was incredible. By the way, best-looking crowd I've seen in Dubai since I've moved to Dubai. Really, wow. really good looking people. Yeah, like obviously not everybody. If you take your like run of the mill middle market Brit with the orange skin and the lipstick and then some weird thing that they put on the outside of the lipstick. So the lipstick is the color, I guess, on the lips. But then there's a liner that goes between the skin and the lip. And it's like some sort of like, I don't know, like boundary or some something. They looked whack. And all the kind of like middle Britain, British girls were leathered as in like using the cocktail stands to be able to, <coughs> to kind of put their elbows on and watch the show. Uh, but otherwise it was also nice to see like Arabs and, you know, like people from the region there, like, you know, just cool, like around the way Arab people, like Syrians and Egyptians, modest fashion, not much makeup, cool hair, like just into the music. And I, and I, and I looked at some of these girls and I was like, I wonder where they were when these records came out because they know the songs. Hmm. I just wonder what their relationship with the record is, you know? So it was it was nice to see people from other places that we're not from, like enjoying those songs. So Ashanti did a thing, great set. Definitely needed tightening up. Like, here's a couple of problems with Ashanti's set. Firstly, vocal performances, five to six times better than I thought they'd be because Ashanti wasn't known for being a singer, 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 singer hmm. when she first came out. She was somewhere in that kind of like, Rihanna, if you can get through the set, it's considered a good night at the office. You know what I mean? Now she can sing, sing, sing. But the problem is they had that trigger box that they had 20 years ago. So it didn't matter what the song was. It didn't matter how beautiful the song was. It didn't matter what a vocal performance was. It didn't matter whether she ended on her knees at the front of the stage or at the back of the stage raised up. They did that at the end of the song to kind of like punctuate every song. Yeah. Terrible. Hated that. Terrible. Um, also, at the end... Do you remember at my birthday party, there was that song on the road where Ashanti did the vocal on it? I think it was yeah. Marshall Montano and Ashanti. Beautiful song. I forgot that she did it. So when she closed the show, the DJ, who looked like he was like from the islands or somewhere like that, 
said, yo, should we end it on this? And he plays the record and I was like, what a tune. And I thought, okay, they're just doing it to fill their phone up, you know, like it's the end, the smoke's going up, whatever, whatever. I was like, great tune. They brought out this Caribbean record. Let's all have a good time. Then I forgot, you hear Ashanti sing on the record. You're like, of course, she's the vocal on this record. So then the vibe's even better. Now what happens is, her and a DJ are so distracted filling up their cameras and whatnot that they didn't feel like there was closure. She left the stage and then when she, I was like, hang on, okay, you know, she said she was going to leave and she said that we're going to play this record and be out. But then once she'd said her goodbyes and walked off, there was no like formal thank you for coming out. That all happened before the Marshall record. So from a sequencing perspective, she did her formal, formal goodbye from behind the stage and the end, it just ended messy so i would say the ending was messy the show started a little bit late and the explosion sound the bomb sound at the end of every chancy record completely unnecessary but is she a star yes hair makeup costume vibe energy brilliant couple of american mistakes like she was like thanks to you guys i was on you know this was on the hot 100 billboard for this many weeks it got the Guinness Book of Records for this. And I was like, yeah, but all the people in this region didn't really participate from a consumption perspective to the statistics that led to those accolades. But I get it. You know what I mean? You're American. You don't really know. Do you know what I mean? You're just being friendly and thanking people for their support. But that's, that's on a technicality. But brilliant. I would give her a solid... As a performer, she's up there with the, you know some really great, great ones. Um, she's not... She's not Mary. She's not... Justin Timberlake, I mean, Justin Timberlake, I've seen him deliver a 10, but she's a high eight. Like, I would go and see that show again today. She's brilliant, really good. And Ja Rule? A high eight. Ja Rule, above a nine. Ja Rule was incredible vocally, and also the guy's got an amazing catalog. So really, really good. Really good. So that's interesting because, it's interesting because, um, you know, fr- frankly speaking, what you st- the comparison? Look, here's the thing: you you can't really compare Ashanti to Mary and all these guys. Not not really. But using using Mary as a bit of a benchmark is pretty pretty smart because when you kind of think about the music that Ashanti's made, she made it in a moment. Even with Jar Rule as well, like that whole that whole clip, that whole murdering clip. There was a moment in time. What they haven't done, and it doesn't sound like they need to, (laughs) um, what they haven't done is continue to make music that grows as their age grows and as their fans grow up in age, which is what most artists tend to do as they mature in their kind of artistry and in their career. So, you know, if they're they're allowed, if they're they're allowed allowed to, yeah, yeah. If the the industry lets them, like, yeah, exactly. And we also know that, you know, there was a lot of challenges with that whole record label with the industry. There was lo- lots of different things going on, particularly like in that whole kind of decade. So when they were there five years before and five years afterwards, it was like it was messy. Right. So. So, yeah, fair enough. But a lot of artists were able to do it. They didn't. But um, I think that's one thing that might kind of that's kind of holding them back to being these like great legacy artists like these superb cream of the crop mary style artists so they're gonna they're just gonna have to be in their lane and just kind of own it which it sounds like they're doing based on the performance that they gave but you can't deny the catalog 
and the reach and the hits and you know the, Bro, the, the impact it had on music because you know we, when we were speaking earlier they fundamentally changed or i mean whether they changed it or created it, I, don't, I don't know i can't i can't really say but what they did to like the hip-hop and r&b fusion sound mm. that th- no, no one i don't think i can't think of anyone off the top of my head that has done that to that extent that well with that much impact to that sort of specific fusion quote-unquote fusion genre of hip-hop and r&b like guy girl you know there's not there's no one that's really done that to that extent there are of course but not to that extent does that Mm. make sense yeah and you know like ashanti's that guy girl thing is a really good point because ashanti as an artist that you plug into whether you're ja rule whether you're fat joe whatever she's just so complimentary as a as a as a as the the girl character in the record so like for example like you know she's deep in her set joe's done like he's off stage he didn't even come on and do a verse for new york because that was ja rule's first record so that's fair he let ja rule have his space and it's not a mainstream record but then can you imagine when you hear like turn the effing beat on and like what's love comes on and then fat joe comes back out again and it was electric because you forget how much people like love that record. Like how many years I spent over a decade cussing out our friend Rishi for his infatuation with Murder Inc. And I cussed out every Indian in Harrow because Ashanti basically showed them how to dance. You know what I mean? And she's not really known for her dancing. She just like does the little back and forth thing. So that's basically, I was like, oh my God, Murder Inc. and Ashanti became the operating system for like Northwest London. But boy, they are good. Like Ashanti and Ja Rule, they probably did 20 minutes together. Like Ja did his thing. And then obviously this, he blended back into her catalog. And that was miraculous. I mean, you're talking about two people that they look like they were raised on like, they look, their chemistry on stage, they look like they'd come up together from Disney days. Like they were that good. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, look, they, you know, we, we, again, we spoke about it earlier. They were a close, a close crew. They put out, bangers and it was really all about kind of making each one of them stars not in their own right together as a as a crew you know and that that's interesting I think but Ashanti also is a good observation actually Ashanti like being very complimentary and I think again talking about like Mary and all these other artists she's not a Mary she's not in the same league as a Mary and that's why she's able to compliment these records so well because she's not vanilla that's the wrong word but she's kind of safe you know she's like in the middle safe so you can kind of put her anywhere with any kind of artist and she'll compliment them and not outshine them Mm. and not but not be too like low down where it's like you forget who she is and she kind of gets swamped underneath the other artists she Mm. can kind of just stay in a lane and the records are produced that way as well it's not like they're complex records you know what i mean yeah so they're they're fun sing-along hum-along records like any of those melodies are just so easy to to recall in your brain and just just get down with cool man well listen i'm glad you i'm glad you enjoyed it um you said there was about six or seven thousand people there about that? Yeah, it, it it hadn't sold out at all. I mean, from what I can see, like Coca Cola Arena is from what I've heard, from what I think a Google search would show that it's like seventeen k. You put in a stage, so you eliminate everything behind the stage in terms of seating capacity, and then you know it was a successful concert, no doubt about that. Like, but it it felt thin, like it wasn't a packed mm. concert. 
uh, you could at any point in the night politely make yourself make your way to the front if you wanted to. Like, oh, wow, okay. It'll be, it'll be two, three deep at the front, but, you know, someone's going to let you through. It wasn't like you're at a, like a Wu-Tang show, do you know what I mean? Or like where, like, you know, you, you're either at the front of the beginning or you're just not, you're not getting anywhere near it. So, yeah, it was, it was I think, so it was brought by Full Circle and th that whole team, which, you know, good for mm -hmm. them. They did a good show. They've got, uh, I think, Afro World and a bunch of other things they've got programmed for Dubai this year. They seem to be on an on a upward trajectory. But what I would say to Full Circle, if they could is I would say that there is a real kind of like club party chemistry there. And I would probably build the stage in the middle or extend the stage out into the middle and really let people go out and do their thing, use up some of that standing capacity because doing more than those seats for legacy artists is going to be very difficult, I think. Unless you've got like a 50 or somebody who's like super rare, but the reality is... Fat Joe is out here from time to time. You know what I mean? Like on a, on a pretty regular basis. He, by his own words, it's his second home. So you're not talking about that like, I'll never see this guy again. Truthfully, before the end of the year, there's probably going to be at least another two Fat Joe club performances here. So yeah, I would just say like, don't be as ambitious as the full arena capacity, but do something ambitious inside an arena is, is how I would suggest that they format it so they can continue to have people that are in the pecking order of where an Ashanti and a jar might be. And many of them did verses, so we know who we're talking about. And uh, and just have them come out and have a good time. I would say you could go all the way from like Ashanti all the way up to an Usher and not have all the pressure of filling the stadium out while still using the using the arena in a in an interesting way. See, so you know, it's interesting, just, you know, we'll, we'll move on from this in a moment, but using Usher as, in a, as kind of like the, the kind of upper limit of the benchmark that's really interesting because you're suggesting and i agree here in this market usher couldn't sell out an arena i don't think that the base is strong enough here and the catalog is deep enough or connected well enough with the base here to sell out so it's very interesting because i wouldn't ever really think of usher like that particularly historically but i wouldn't really think of usher like that but that really is true here i think no disrespect to usher i think he's been one of the greatest male vocalists that has ever been but but you know it's it's weird to think that don't you think yeah and the, the interesting thing about usher is and i think we're going to see something really really interesting with him uh is he's got this property that he's built called lovers and friends so let me just tell you who's on the lovers and friends lineup it's had Yo, many successful sorry, years that looks that looks mental yeah yeah it's it's they've had they've done it before but but just in no particular order chris brown Mariah Carey, Missy Elliott, Pitbull, Usher, Christina Aguilera, Miguel. Then on the new front, you got Janae Aiko, Summer Walker, Party Next Door, Bryson, Till Bryson Tiller. You've also got 50 Cent on that bill. You've also got Boys to Men, Omarion, Bow Wow, Little Kim, Eve, T.I., Soldier Boy, The Brat, Genuine, Remy Ma, Jojo. I don't know which Jojo that is. It was Casey. I'm assuming it's from Joe Desi, but could be Jojo the singer. On Vogue, Black Street. Minus Teddy Riley, I'm assuming. Jagged Edge, Next, Wayne Wonder, Kevin Little, Little Mo, 702, Lumidy, Baby Bash, Young Jock, <laughs> Franchise Boys, Manny Fresh, Fair, Enoari, Chingy. It's basically the, everybody who's on the playlist of any records that you hear in Harrow. Um, it's, it's really dope. But I think you could take one quarter to one third of that, of that list and you could do that at Coca-Cola Arena and it'd be incredible. I mean, right now, if you say Coca-Cola Arena, Lovers and Friends, Usher, Nelly, Ludacris, T.I., ba 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 
three hours show, it's selling out all day. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. E- each one of these artists would need other artists to fill it out. But yeah, pretty pretty much all of them. Maybe not Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey's probably the only one. Mar- Mariah, could do, Mariah could do Coca-Cola. Mariah could do it on her own. Yeah, Mariah could do it on her own. I'd Pitbull, argue Pitbull, Pitbull could probably Pitbull, even do it. That's the one I was going to say. Exactly the one I was going to say. I'd argue that Pitbull could. Maybe not Christina Aguilera, although she she might. But those are the only three out of this whole lineup that I think could fill out Coca Cola Arena on their own. On their own. I think Chris Brown could do it. on their own. I think Chris Brown could do it, and I think Fifty could do it because Fifty did just do it. So yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Fifty did do it. Yeah, so Chris yeah. Brown, Fifty. Okay, before I put a pin on that anymore that I've missed on there. No, that is it, right? So yeah. No, I, 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 think, I think that's it, yeah. I, I think, you yeah. know, there's a, there's a few people here could, that could do an and friends format. Like I think Nelly could do an and friends format. I think Missy could do an and friends format. And as long as you get like, you know, four decent caliber artists to come out and support, then yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, Flowrider, Flowrider's doing his thing. Nice segue actually into the next story because we have a Flowrider story. He came up nice this week. Yeah, man. And actually, he was going to be the one that I wanted to speak about next as well. So so Flowrider was um, just, I think, two days ago, uh, awarded a little over $82.6 million, million in damages after successfully suing Celsius, which is um, the energy drinks firm that he was an ambassador for. And this is a court case that's been going on for around two years, uh, just under two years. So he was an ambassador for them, I think, was it 2014 to 2018? And I think part of the deal was that he would get a 1% stake in mm. the company. Now, through, you know, miscommunication or bad contracts or, you know, maybe just bad faith, uh, that didn't happen. He didn't get his 1% and his contributions to the growth of that company weren't recognized in the right way. So then he decided, right, I'm going to sue them. And he has come up over $80 million in damages. Now, that's huge. That's that's a big, big, big win for him. And I'd argue that if there is any other, this could set a real precedent for any other artist that has endorsement deals with brands, that may have kind of ended in bad faith or they may not have got what they were deserved or maybe contracts are a little bit ambiguous and there's some kind of way in for a lawyer to be able to go, right, let's relook at these contracts and is there a loophole? Is there something that we can do to maybe sue for damages or get what we kind of deserve? Because there's a lot of artists that have, that have, you know, been ambassadors, whether officially or in any other capacity for loads of brands and that have, propelled them into success huge success particularly like clothing and things like that particularly when you look at hip-hop and clothing right so good for Flowrider, and i think that this is going to open up just a whole bunch of new court cases whether they win or not is kind of irrelevant we're just going to open up a whole bunch of new ones what do you reckon i think if you're if, if you're one of the kind of if you're one of the kind of deal makers in the brand world who does not want rappers and people from that community to participate on an equity basis this literally reads like a horror story this reads like nightmare on elm street now what's interesting about my relationship with the brand celsius is obviously uh i, I first heard Anon from group chat talking about it and i was like okay yeah interesting i then saw it was available in my gym when i was at ufc i purchased it phenomenal drink 
Typically, the shares would trade somewhere around that 100, 110 mark. They've had some incredible growth. Uh, this deal was done with Flowrider in 2014. So you can imagine that Celsius was a very different brand at that time. And it was an equity deal. I think it was a couple of blocks of shares of 250,000 shares and then another 250 based on performance. So it might have been 750 shares, which on today's market rate, as you rightly said, would generate about 82.6 million. I think in his pocket, US, there could be some capital gains. Definitely at these kind of numbers, the lawyers that he's working with will want to participate in some of the upside as well. So they'll probably be able to take a slice of the, the action, but it will move Flowrider into a very interesting space. It will give Flowrider the personal liquidity of somebody who has done M&A in the hip hop world, like a 50 or whatever, or right, 50s exits were like north of 200 million, if I remember correctly, for vitamin water. But to not build the brand and then go through an exit and just get this through suing the company and taking what's rightfully yours and still walking away with 82.6 million, actually, net net, it's a pretty good deal for Flowrider, to be honest because he's not had to go through an IPO. He's not had to go through all sorts of, I mean, I would argue that's even more complicated. This looks like a clear cut case of him getting jerked. You're right, there is bad faith. There was bad faith acting in this that took place. And uh, and he's he got what's rightfully his, and I'm glad, man. It's This feels like justice. And I, and I, and I feel like if what would be incredible is if he can do it once, he can do it again. Because what we do know, looking at you know KSI and all these other folks, is that when hip hop aligned and went into like consumer goods, clothing, obvious, fragrances, that had its time in the sun. Alcoholic beverages definitely had its time in the sun. But now, energy drinks and like consumer packeted, these kind of items like cans, cartons, really, really interesting. I think we're about to see, a, I think we're about to see many, many more of these as time goes on because you look at the operating margins, you look at the brand value, you look at the way that they're able to go out and reach and touch the people through activations. It's not a formula that's gonna break anytime soon. Yeah, and, and let's not forget how huge, like how huge Flowrider is. I mean, he's pushing, you know, I think it's like, just on the last thing that I saw, is like 18 million records sold worldwide. So, you know, he's one of the biggest selling artists in the world, right? So, so his reach is ridiculous. So forget like, and, and I think this is not really, a, this is probably not about the money for him because the money he'll be making on his records plus any other investments that he's made in vodka and various other things obviously the money is going to be something but this is i think this is more about making a point about his value and his worth because he's not in a position where he needs to kind of go out and kind of prove himself right and prove who he is and prove his value whether you like his music or not is really kind of not relevant He's made an impact musically. He sold a crap ton of records and he's had, you know, he does sold out shows and he's been doing sold out shows. So it's not about him kind of being this like desperate artist trying to prove who he is and his value. This is about him going, no, this is, this is because I want to show everyone why I'm so valuable. Does that, does that make sense? What I'm trying to say, like, it's, I don't think it's a money play. Well, it's not. No, I, th I, th money play. I think I think it, I think it is a money play because whatever whatever things he's participated in, you know, you got bear in mind when we were playing Flowrider when he first became popular, there's the beginning of the streaming era, end of the end of the uh, like physical like era and pirate, and it was you know it's it also coming out of piracy. So I think he's probably not had the revenue opportunity from music 
unless he goes out and does like live work. And I'm sure that's been great for him. But let's say he gets to pocket through some sort of freak of nature economics. He gets to pocket 40% of this after fees, taxes and capital gains and everything else. That's still $32 million. I don't know if prior to a deal like this happening, if he was even able to sit on 32 million liquid, unless he's going out to like West Africa and being given like, you know, 8 million in a bunch of bin bags. You know what I mean? Like, unless it's going down that way, I, I still think this is a significant amount of money, but I do agree with you that this is a, let this be a lesson to other people that want to work with him. And he doesn't need to put out records every single year. He could now, if he wanted to, just spend all of his time doing stuff like this. And and I think it's really, really important to remember that even if it was a payout of 32 million, Flo Rider is nowhere near the biggest, best rapper in the world. He's just another pit bull, right? But the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt, lost 12 million. And some media outlets were reporting that this is his life savings. So to even be a Flo Rider means you've got an active burn rate no matter how much money you're making doing shows, you've got flights, you've got management agency, da, 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 so on and so forth. So I don't know how much these guys are able to net. I wouldn't be surprised if Flo Rida was only netting, you know, I don't know, five to eight million in his pocket per year since the beginning of his career. So this 32 mil on top is going to be a very thick layer of icing. Yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like the money's not important. Like I'm saying that I don't think this is just about the money. Do you I know what I mean? I think sure. there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like the mo- no one, no one's going to turn their nose up at a gross, a gross settlement of eighty-two point six million dollars, of which you're going to make anything between, I don't know, whatever it might be, forty and sixty percent, or thirty and fifty percent of that, whatever that number is. It's a sweet two two years of work, you know, like yeah, you know, yeah. two years in course. Yeah, it's stressful or whatever, but to come out with that money is going to be great. Even if he made twenty million out of it, he's going to be happy. But again, I think I think it's part and part, right? Like the money is good, the money is important, and then it allows him the kind of freedom and flexibility to do basically kind of whatever he wants. But mm-hmm. um, but I think it's more about that. And then I think he, I, I mean, I don't know if he's this kind of altruistic or anything, but hopefully other artists and you know, their kind of business managers and their kind of legal team will see an opportunity in this to go, okay, well, look, if there are brands out there that have like chipped us or that's been going on in the industry, as we know for a long, long time, maybe there's a way that this can kind of stop that from happening, you mm-hmm. know, being taken advantage of all artists. So I first heard this story because 50 posted like congratulations to, uh, flow rider for taking celsius to court they did him wrong i always thought that was his drink and then even doja cat huge artist today was saying oh i thought this was flow rider's energy drink so i think the u.s consumer pop consumer hip-hop consumer probably has this had this tie-in for a long long time you know this isn't like when buster did something with sprite where sprite is sprite and buster's buster i think people actually thought like this is one of his drinks so no really good really good to see that all all settled and um and it's good that it didn't work out the way that Usain Bolt's week worked out. Yeah, yeah so I don't mean to laugh, but um, d- just the way you segued it, to be fair, that's what mm-hmm. I'm laughing at. But apparently he's been, like you mentioned, he's been scammed out of $12 million. Um, so so it's, 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 do you know what? It's, it's really a little bit vague, this story, because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of detail. So apparently this is... Um, a certain amount of money that he has in investments 
um, back home in Jamaica and the like the people that kind of run this for him and the team around him have only just found out that from around $12 million, he's got $12,000 left in that account. Now, I am reading around, that's not his, that's that's not what he's worth, that's not his life savings, but th- they're kind of coupling it with the fact that he's retired and it's leading like his investments for his retirement. I think that's the kind of message mm. that they're trying to get across rather than it being his like life savings. So, so yeah, man, I mean, he's he's definitely worth more i think you know he's like worth like over 30 million dollars from stuff that i'm reading online but Mm. but yeah look i don't know what's happened it's really vague i can't figure out what what's going on but yeah man i mean that's not like the bank kind of going oh look you know we've lost a thousand dollars or you know Mm. a couple of thousand dollars it's like this is vanished which means someone's gone in and scammed him and you know, I can't give you any specifics because I can't remember off the top of my head, but there, there are lots of stories of like particularly actors that have their business managers scam them. And, you know, a lot of music artists happen to as well where like business managers go in and like, you know, they're basically embezzling money <laughs> from their account and from from that particular talent. And this could, I don't know, but it could just be another case of that really. Like he's just getting embezzled by one of his someone in his team i hope not but you know mm. sounds like it, it looks could be. it looks like you said you're right is it's 12 million of his life savings not his whole life savings and uh he looks like he invested it with a limited company by the looks of things that limited company is called i think it's stocks and securities uh and you know they they, they obviously they're they're an investment fund or an investment vehicle and that money has obviously disappeared so let's see what's going on um it'd be interesting if the CEO of Stocks and Securities came out and wrote a book about this whole thing and called it How I Pulled a Fast One. <laughs> but yeah, no, don't want don't to get don't want to get beat up by him. Bolt's net worth is reportedly ninety million, with a good chunk of that money coming oh, from wow. a lucrative sponsorship deal with apparel apparel giant Puma. Now retired, Bolt earns an estimated four million from Puma annually. So yeah. I think that he's uh, he seems positive from a cash flow perspective. So he's not going to be, um, yeah, he's not going to have to unretire or kind of like do any do anything corny. Looks like he continues to keep it real. But yeah, so it is harsh news, man. Harsh news for him. What else is going on on the uh, on the harsh news side? We have a Twitter story as well, right? This, <laughs> yeah, this is this was very shocking when this came through on the group chat. Tell me about it. So so the so twitter's officially banned third-party clients now when we talk about third-party kind of clients we're talking about um software that talks to that connects to twitter through an api that allows you to effectively post on twitter using these apps like things like hootsuite and things like that that you know like scheduling software you can do mass kind of publishing of tweets on twitter so they've completely banned any of these well they're saying that it's updated its developer rules to ban third-party clients um without really any kind of explanation so what it's stating is that you can't use twitter's api or content to create or attempt to create a substitute or similar service or product to twitter applications so it sounds like they're basically trying to get rid of all the uh the copycats 
as such, kind of thing, based on mm. what I'm reading. I, 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 don't, I don't think I don't think it's copycats. They're, not, copy, I think, they're I think, not copycats. They're not copycats, but anything that could potentially infiltrate the Twitter ecosystem, particularly when they're talking about you know bots and keeping it clean and things like that. So any kind of entry point into Twitter that might contaminate it, that's what it sounds like they're doing. Yeah, so that that's valid. I would say that the bots argument is is valid. That, but the thing is, to me, it looks like this, right? So, you gave the example there of Hootsuite. I don't know if I told you, but so I know Ryan Holmes, the CEO of Hootsuite. I was at an event in London one time doing something or another, and I just saw this like cool white guy just stood around, and we just became friends. And I said, "What do you do?" And he goes, oh, "I work in I work in media. I work in the agency world." I've got this app called Hootsuite and I've come to England to try and get some agencies to start using it for their clients because Twitter was as hot as anything could be at that time. Around the time that, you know, started the relationship with Gary Vee and people like that. So Ryan was one of those guys. Well, I think it was just me and him that connected. I don't think it was, I don't think all three, I don't think you've ever met him before. But in those days we stayed in touch and I used to give him feedback on Hootsuite. And if you remember when I first started the agency, having these kind of apps that could schedule tweets were considered quite revolutionary. They had a really nice free portion. So you could kind of like, as an independent freelancer, you could do a lot of that stuff. And then uh, they started to launch paid plans and scheduling. And what got really annoying to old Twitter pre-Elon and now new Twitter post-Elon is that a lot of these third-party apps, because they had the API access, which means that they were able to do stuff on the core application that is Twitter itself, because these third-party apps could do stuff on Twitter like read tweets, post tweets, skim through lots and lots of data and summarize Twitter activity, Twitter itself did not have the capability to do that, which is the reason why for over a decade, Twitter has been accused of under-innovating and, and that's why the share price has had the least amount of movement since the company had started. So when you start paying Hootsuite to do stuff for you on Twitter that Twitter cannot do itself, and then the monetization happens and starts, stops and ends at the Hootsuite level. Now Hootsuite's making more money than Twitter's making because Hootsuite has taken that API, that pipe into the back of the Twitter machine and then built a front end of the machine that's better than Twitter's own front end. And that's always been a case point of envy for the, for the Twitter board. But it's also been one of those kind of frenemy things, which is like, well, how do I cut them off? And so, so typically what happens in business is that you wholly cannibalize a third party. So Amazon will look at the sales data of you know USB pens and this and that, and then they'll go and make their own basics line, and then they'll drive all that traffic to themselves, and that's considered anti-competitive. But there's something about Twitter's DNA, especially pre, like you know, in that Jack Dorsey era before Elon and all these guys came on board, where they massively under-innovated, and they didn't even do that. Like you'd even think, like you know, why don't we just launch our own better version of Twitter to stop? Hootsuite and all these other apps you were talking about kind of getting that getting that opportunity higher up in the customer journey. Now let's see what happens. I think Hootsuite released a tweet saying you can still write tweets or read tweets or something, something, something. But this is a direct blow and this is a fundamental vulnerability if you build your business on heavily indexed towards having pipe access to a, a platform. Very, very dangerous times. So, So what do you think the likes of Hootsuite and the like can do because so monetization is, is a very good point. You know, Twitter can then start increasing, you know, ad spend because they have direct connection with the 
the end user, but now if Hootsuite and, you know, I'm using Hootsuite as the example, but any company like Hootsuite that is plugged into Twitter in this way, what can they do? What do you reckon they can do now? Like, I mean, how do they pivot? I mean, a bunch of them are probably just going to like, a bunch of them are like small little, you know, whatever they are, they're going to just disappear, I imagine. But what are these like bigger companies going to be able to do? I don't know. I mean, it's in the line of fire, it looks like, uh, looking at TechCrunch right now, it looks like it says here, after cutting off prominent app makers like Tweetbot and Twitterific, Twitter today updated its de developer terms to ban third-party clients altogether. I mean, what you do, you, you do what you do when you get chucked out of the club and it's over. You're going to have to just go and build another business. Because if they're yeah. not going to allow you to access there and they say, you know what, this is my ball. Like, you know, the little angry kid who's playing football is like, just takes his ball and leaves. Well, that's it. You're not playing football anymore. So, you know, it's not as if Hootsuite and all these kind of things have been like at the forefront of media for quite some time because when Twitter was a dom dominant form of media, you could get efficiencies from the Hootsuites of the world. But post-Twitter, we've had the rise of Snapchat, the rise of Instagram, even WhatsApp starting to kind of wear certain cross-dress pieces like a social network. Do you know what I mean? So mm. Twitter's not as relevant as it was. Plus, what we've also seen with Twitter's stock price and engagement, daily active users, monthly active users, is they swing too much based on the new cycles of like a Donald Trump being on there. Like if one to five accounts on that platform can significantly move how much that platform is used by like, let's say, you know, a point or two, three points, well, then you're way overexposed. That that platform's too heavy on the controversy that a Donald Trump might bring to the platform. And so, you know, Twitter's been on its ass for a while. This is, if Elon Musk turns this around, whilst him turning it around won't be something that you can jump in and drive like a Tesla or like something you can see go into space like SpaceX, amongst the tech community, this will be the turnaround of all turnarounds. However, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, end of January, beginning of February, he's got to do his first interest payment to the loans that he's taken out for Twitter. And that number could land anywhere between, I heard one person say 350 million and I heard another person say a billion. So I don't know. It could be a billion this year and 350 this quarter. That, that probably makes more sense. Yeah, that's what that makes more sense. You better start selling some some Teslas, <laughs> you know. What I mean, real real quick. He better get himself into the showroom. But um, but yeah, the, the problem the, is the problem is on that on the Tesla front though. Just to just to build on your point, he's getting tremendous pressure from the board, and there, there could even soon be board activism because the board is saying you're the CEO. Why are you not showing up to work every day and running this business that is not only a transportation company and Unfortunately, it's now getting pigeonholed as a transportation company. You were supposed to be the future of energy, and, yeah. but instead you're building a you're you're trying to revive a very terrible basic social network. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, it's, but. it's no, 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 no. Like I was just making a making a flippant joke, but it's it's interesting because you're right. Twitter does rely. It's not just a controversy that like a Donald Trump might give it. It's that it actually really relies on the the, the news of the world, right? Because the only reason that, see, people go onto Twitter to do, you know, a couple of things. One is to comment on what's happening in the world, basically, whether that be good, bad or ugly, whatever, hap whatever. It's not just, I'm not talking about like, you know, I'm talking about financial, tech, politics, etc., everything. 
And then the other thing that they um, do is to go and read about it, right? So they're very, very heavily relying on everything that happens in the world. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look, whereas you look at like an Instagram or let's just take Instagram for example, it's not relying on news at all. Like really, it's relying on user-generated content about just whatever they're generating content about and people being interested in it, not about the news of the world. Yes, people comment on it in, on, on Instagram, but it's not the primary place to do it or the primary consumption tool for that news. In fact, Twitter's probably the, you know, one of the most consumed, you know, news site, more than a social network, it's a news site and it's probably one of the most consumed ones in the world. And uh, should people start to feel like they're not getting their news or they're not getting the accurate news they're just going to disappear and if twitter doesn't do something to you know like put they're basically putting all the eggs in one basket right so unless they do something that allows people to go right more than news i'm getting x y and z it gives them a reason to stay if they're not getting the news or they're not getting the controversy or they're sick of the fed up of the controversy do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so let's see you're right if if he turns it around this will be one of the biggest comeback stories in tech. I don't, I don't know any others off the top of my head. <laughs> like, I mean, I as, aside, aside, aside from the original SpaceX where he was down to his last launch and he turned it around, this would be one of the biggest comebacks in tech. But, you know, I saw this. I'm seeing the tweets that I kind of love, the ones I'm seeing that I really respect. Well, I saw one today, which was that Twitter is an incredible platform if you follow the right people and get rid of, like, bad people. Because then effectively what you're doing is you've effectively got a group chat with the world, like how we've got our group chat for the news. Shout out to the Algo editorial team. But like, you know, if you're only following certain news sources on Twitter and they're all ones that have been highly curated by you, you're effectively on a group chat with the world. So let's see. I'm also interested, you know, none of these companies that wrote this story up that I've seen have helped me understand how much revenue these third-party apps actually contribute to twitter because i'm sure that to the extent that they use these apis they don't have free api access i'm sure that being industrial enterprise scale like someone like a hootsuite or whatever that they've probably got to kick some money back to uh to twitter but regardless doesn't look like twitter once even if it is there it's out it's uh this this is the soap opera of the year when it comes to technology it's fast moving it's got heroes and villains and controversy and lies and big money at stake uh let, let's see what happens let's see what happens with it's it. great a great story though yeah it's a netflix documentary waiting to happen right it's it's a it's a, it's a netflix series it's a little game of thrones yes i mean that's what that's what it's going to be and i'm sure that there's definitely going to be a movie or a series about about twitter it's 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 there's no doubt there's going to be one about Elon Musk, but there's no doubt there's going to be one about Twitter, whatever the outcome is. So there you mm. go. Okay, cool. So a little bit more new. I mean, we've got a ton of news stories. I don't know if we're going to get through them all, but one I did want to talk about is because obviously we are Indians and India. Speak for yourself. <laughs> you don't look Indian <laughs> and I sort of do. Um, India now has surpassed China to be the most populated country in the world. Mm. So it is at um, 1.417 billion people, whereas um, China, I think, is 1.4. So not a huge Mm. difference. It's just creeped ahead. 
and uh yeah that that's that's the state of the union right now um obviously india's just continually growing and has been growing for many 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 years but i think a big reason that this has happened is because of china's first population decline in over 60 years and the first decline was in like the night or not the first one but the one in the 1960s was because of like widespread famine and starvation i don't know what caused that but this one the british specifically is there is is that what happened in the 60s there i don't, I don't know anything wrong in india it's the british <laughs> no 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 sorry this is in china so china had a population decline in the 60s because of famine and starvation Since oh then, got not it had one they've only increased in population so now china's had a decline so it's a bit of a kind of a weird one we're not saying that india has just surpassed china but china's declined in population by only eight hundred and fifty thousand. but that's enough for india to you know just edge it forward so i think the the big thing here actually is more about china and less about india the good thing about india is this the good thing for india is this it kind of gives it another little kind of leading indicator in the world and I think a big part of this is that we know that there's a big burgeoning middle class, educated, um, much more free and quote unquote westernized, but with the Indian kind of culture backing it. W well educated, lots of you know good opportunities for not just tech and finance and the traditional ones, but also in the creative arts. So I think this is going to give that opportunity for India to continue to rise in that. And on the flip side for China, with the decline in population, you know, it's an aging population. So now they're in a position where, you know, they don't have people of a certain age that can progress the country forward, which has a global impact because so much reliance is on China in terms of like, you know, manufacturing and, and you know, a variety of other things. So this, this is an interesting time. I don't know what it means in the long term and how it's really, really going to impact. But those are my kind of just like quick, quick kind of observations. But it's good for India, man. Like it's a nice little number one, number one in spelling bees and number one in uh, population. Yeah, I think <coughs> this is an interesting time because India's India's been awash with controversy since Modi took over in terms of like the rise of the right wing popular nationalism and populism, which, you know, we even had a conversation with this about with some with some Indians from India as well. They were saying like like being nationalistic or patriotic is almost on vogue in in India. So that has been a distraction from an economic perspective. But yeah, if you look at the demographic data, like whereas the the top of China's age demographic, and I don't know the numbers, this is just from learning over the years, the, there's lots of elderly. And I think about half of the population, you never know with India, but about half the population is under 30. So depending on the under 30s attitude towards procreation and having kids, you could actually see over the next 30 years, the population of India continue to grow. And then there's the fact that China's, you've got this like curve inversion, right? Where China goes below India's upward movement and they cross and it's, it looks like it's just crossed. But in addition to that as well, there is the adaptability of the Indian people because they are a democracy and because they are a free trade economy and because they export so much talent, they openly, India's one of those weird places where they can afford to have a brain drain. They can afford to have a brain drain. 
like they can let some of their best and brightest go because there's one point something billion of them. There's always going to be enough doctors knocking around to handle like, you know, giving young Suresh the stitches that he needs when he falls out of a tree. So the, the India's got such a glut of like human resources and human talent. And then they're exporting people. The diaspora is an economically strong diaspora that has really high remittance power. Like there are lots of Indians working overseas, whether they're working in construction here in the UAE or whether they're working in Silicon Valley that are sending money back to India. So it's it's a strong economy. And I think that it's, it's been downplayed because the last couple of years, last couple of years have been tricky. You know, India had a shortage of oxygen. So that was kind of like a, a dethroning during the pandemic. But let's just look at the, let's look at the cohort that, that India sits in, the BRIC economies, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China. China, tricky. Not a democracy, frenemy relationship with the rest of the world. Russia, at war. Brazil, I actually don't know, but I know that politically, there's a lot of turbulence there at the top in terms of protests among different parties. Along comes India and goes, rising middle class, half of our population is young, we're educated, adaptable, we've got a lot to export. We've also got a rising middle class, so we're actually open to importing. I think GDP-wise, there's still a, a net growth economy. It's just, it's just a nice bit of news. By the way, please don't think that I'm being nationalistic or pro-India. I don't care if India's Poland. This is just if you look at like the high-level economic like makeup, the architecture of the country, this is what it spits out. It's still a weird place where you're going to have to stop your car if a cow's walking past, but you know, as a country, it's 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 worth noting this. It's funny because, you know, the BRIC economies have been discussed for many, 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 many years. And India's kind of always been, I think, I think, I feel like India's always been overlooked in the BRIC economies. Like it's always been this kind of underdog and, you know, Indians have, are very kind of not outspoken and very like, you know, it's kind of seen as a humble and meek kind of culture and society and they don't like to blow their own horn but the reality is is that okay forget the kind of tech ceos that india has produced globally because they're dominating basically all of tech um and the biggest companies in the world that that this that i think what what is really important here is f there is three like two or three things at play number one everything that you said about the rest of the brick economies is is having an impact on India's kind of upward mobility, particularly in the perception of the world. That's the first thing. The second thing is that this kind of middle class, and I think we've spoken about this in previous podcast episodes, that there is this genuine, like, you know, t let's call it 18 to 38 year old, kind of this like 20, this like this like middle 20 year old, 20 year kind of age range. Forget the youngsters, because they're going to have a different life entirely. But they are well-educated. There's plenty of opportunities within the country and outside of the country for them to be economically stable and have really solid careers in almost any kind of field that they choose now. Mm. And, you know, like I've just read a stat here that, that the India's labor force participation rate, which is an estimation of the active workforce and people looking for work, stands at 46% last year, which... Is a is a pretty significant number. I mean, it's almost half the population is within the workforce. Now, I'm talking about like kind of legally and not notably in the workforce, right? Not those guys that you know run the local 
kind of new newsstand and do this and the chaiwalas and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm talking about, you know, what would be seen as globally legitimate work. Because they've been overlooked, forget like what's been happening politically because you know, it's it's really difficult to comment on that when we're not part of that world. When you know, I don't know enough about it. We know there's controversy, but there is a real opportunity if India, as a culture and as a nation, stand up and say, "This is why we're great. Whatever mm. is great about them, this is why we're great. This is why we're going to contribute." And what we've contributed and what we're going to continue to contribute to the global economy and the global markets. And I think that's a really important thing for India to do as a nation. Again, I'm not, I'm, I am Indian. I've not lived there. I don't, I'm not an Indian Indian from India culturally. There are obviously very distinct differences between how we were brought up and Indians are brought up in India. But, but we do understand it. And I feel like they need to speak up, however that is manifested. There just needs to be a, a, a higher voice as to what the contribution is internally to the country and to the global to the global stage, and there is a real opportunity for them to do that. And that voice should be Mims. Mims has a song called "This Is Why I'm Hot." If we can put Mims and Modi together next time the national anthem is being sung, I think we'll be we'll be good. We'll be on the right path. Like, I mean, it's I look the looking new at M&M. yeah, exactly, yeah, M and M. It's I mean just looking at India I mean look, we we spent some time with some Indians uh, from from the top of their society quite impressive to learn about them and what they're into and how they kind of carry themselves and then we also spent some time recently with some of the nerds right that are coming up like the coding kids coming out of high school and I was like I remember like I mean we were both there in the room when we saw these kids building like whole metaverses and virtual reality environments for like they basically built the docks of Dubai and they built virtual environments in six weeks where they can pick up containers and move them and then use those virtual environments to train people. And I was like, what the hell are these little weird mutant Indian kids? Like, how are they so freaking smart? Like, at 14 years old, I was like, wilding. Like, just, you know, listening to music, chasing girls. Like, it's like, how are these kids, like, sat in front of their MacBooks, like, coding for this much time? So they've got this really interesting community that's coming up it still feels like a little bit of a rote learning community it still feels like one of those kind of communities like where the glitz and glamour will still catch their eyelid you know what i mean like my man was here the other day what was his name you know Shahrukh khan yeah i think he was he was over here on uh he was over here i think he was on the on the uh, address downtown and you know everyone just lost their mind right and then what they do typical they had like a bunch of dancers doing their little dance their little bollywood dances all Thousands of Indians are just like losing their mind, like they've never seen people do choreographed dancing before, and uh, yeah, it was just it's 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 a big interesting economy, and it's so weird because I'd say for about twenty years for me personally, every three to four years, the universe just presents this really big macro case as to why you should pay attention to India. Last time I went there, I wasn't too turned on, but if I went there in twenty twenty three, I'd I'd want to update like what my perspective is on that continent. I imagine it'd be yeah, good. One of our friends, Michael, you know him, he's like talking about how many unicorns are being spat out. I mean, you don't spit out north of a billion US dollars worth of uh, valuation. That's not a fluke. That's like, you've got to, you've got to be an economically viable and feasible, like trading entity or business or startup to be able to get that label. So, so, so some real, real shit is happening over there. That's for sure. 
yeah, and there's, there's multiple multiple ones of those, and you know, even if you think about it, like even like infrastructurally, if that's even a word, um, you know, th th they are creating better road systems, you know, better connectivity between all the different cities, and that wasn't there before. You know, we've driven, you know, through through India, you and I actually, and I've done it a couple of times as well. And it's not safe. It's not great. It's not ideal. Mm. But now, from my understanding, like these highways that they're building and they've built, are really doing amazing things for connectivity, and that allows you know mo more mobility within the country for like workforce and maybe commuting or whatever it might be. It just it just increases the opportunity within the country. So there we go. It's good. It's good. Good of good of India to get a headline considering the world that we're in right now. Really good of India to get to get to get a headline like this. Let, let's see how it plays out. So, are we are we going to drain more of the news, or should we just let should we just move on from the news? And if there's anything pressing, we'll just talk about it on the next episode. This is the reason why we got to get to two episodes uh, a week. But yeah, is there anything else that's like super pressing? New MacBooks look like fire. Go on Apple website. Go check out the specs. The GPUs are super impressive. If you're into graphics, the 14-inch machine has got three USBs. Looks like fire. Just insane. And and we'll we'll break down some we'll break down some uh, podcast stats as well in the next episode. But yeah, we had some more stuff to talk about. But truth be told, it's it's midnight. Ironically, it's Monday now. You're probably going to get the episode <laughs> technically on the day that that we finished recording it. So that's never happened before. <laughs> but like, yes, that's uh, that, are, we, are we good with that? I mean, you call it, Vic. It's your, your yeah. No, no, dude, dude. I think I think we've gone quite deep into the the news, and we've done probably an hour and a half just on the news. So wow. <laughs> yeah, maybe let's go on to. Big up you to Shine as well. Bit. Shine's got a deal with Disney for his biopic. So uh, being produced by Rock Nation and DJ Khaled. If you want us to talk about that, just drop us a message. We'll break that story down for you. Yeah, so let's let's move on to content recommendations now. Mm. I, I've not had any... I've, I haven't got anything that stood out to me in terms of content, mm. but that I've seen. But there are two bits of content that I want to kind of just highlight. The first one, we spoke about it before, is You People. It's the film with Jonah Hill, Eddie Murphy, Nia Long. That's on Netflix. We, we I think we spoke about the trailer like maybe like a month or two ago, and that just got released. I think now now three days ago, so on the twentieth of January. So I'm going to watch that hopefully when Shayla gets back from her travels, because I know she'll want to watch it. So I'll uh, I'll do a little review of that once I've watched it. And I saw the trailer for KSI's documentary, which is coming out on prime tv on the 26th of jan it's called in real life so i think the trailer is you know it's like a few minutes long and it's got all the usual things you know the highs the lows the crying the motivation the interviews with the, the family the parents with a couple of friends the brother you know like a little bit of controversy a little bit of like mystery a little bit of this a little bit of that but i think ksi is such a super interesting character and you know, from conversations I've had personally with people that are around him, seems like a really cool guy, like a really nice guy, super like work ethic and, and humble. So I'd be interested in that, seeing that. 26th of Jan, it comes out on Prime TV. So those are my two content recommendations that I haven't seen yet. Nice, yeah. I, well, I, I'm one of those guys. I met JJ, KSI, very nice guy, super chill. Uh, at the time, he was into gaming, online gaming, or people watching him play video games or something like that. He wasn't boxing, but yeah, super nice guy. Like carries himself like a like a gent. So anything that's happens that that happens to him that's good, I'm 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 here for it. So good job him. 
Um, I've got a couple of content recommendations. Let me just go through my YouTube history. Uh, I would say, you know, I would say weirdly, it sounds like a bit of a sounds a bit, a bit of an odd one. One of my content recommendations is last week's episode. If you've not checked out last week's episode, where it's uh, myself, Vic, and Alex all together in my apartment discussing Apple's VR headset. What else is on the title of that one? Uh, WWE going into Saudi and Elon losing a bunch of money. I would definitely recommend that one. It's really, really insightful. It will That episode's so good that it will keep you smart way into February. So if you're not the brightest of people, go back and have a listen to it and then just pass off everything that we say is your own. Otherwise, I would suggest uh, Gary got back on my radar this week. There's a video that he's put up on his YouTube channel. A little over 20,000 views right now. The title of the video is the ways I took control of my health and probably how you can too. The artwork is him in between a green and a red. On the green side, it says exercise sleeping. On the red, it says shitty foods and stress. Vic, you should absolutely watch that one. It's really, really good because me and you have regular discussions about health. Gary's 47 years old. We met him his last fat, well, we knew him through his fat years, but we also did a show with him on his last fat year in 2013. And then, you know, he was always started working with like Mike Vacanti and Jordan and all these guys. And then he got into super shape. He's basically been in shape for about nine years. So, um, but it's nice because he's a friend that we know mentally. We use a lot of his operating system in our business. So to have somebody who we're like so close to break down his thesis on exercise and how he makes it happen and his own shortcomings is very, very interesting. So, you know, it's a really good piece of content. I would highly recommend that people go ahead and check that out. Um, yeah, that's that's really it from a content recommendations point of view. Oh, and I started playing Absol's album last week. Shout out to Mikhail Sylvester. Uh, me and him were texting about the album. It's a really good album, well worth listening to. So yeah, go ahead and go ahead and check that out. Very 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 good piece of content. I don't know if I've got any other content recommendations. To be fair, a bit rushed. Sorry this yeah, week, guys. Yeah, no, it's a bit it's a bit light on content for me as well. I've I've obviously just been listening to the podcast that I listen to normally and nothing's like stood out that I think someone should like really go and listen to. But but yeah, these are the two. Cool. So let's move on to yeah. shout outs. Actually, no, there, there was oh, a couple we wrote down here. J, J, J. Cole procrastination. He went on YouTube. There's a thing there's a thing on YouTube where if you want to get your beat seen, you type in the word like type beat, which means it's the type of beat that you'd expect with this artist. Somebody put up J. Cole type beat. J. Cole was just looking for a laugh, I guess. Search for J. Cole type beat, picked the first one, rapped over it, and then gave the record back to the person that posted it on YouTube and took the DM chat and just made that the artwork. So I love to see that kind of like rough and ready, run and gun style content creation. And it's nice, you know, something nice for a fan. So that's good. And I think Drake dropped a record. I've only heard it once or twice. Jumbo shit, Jumbotron shit popping, cool video. So I think it's just like 72 hours in his life. You see him like bumping into Mike Tyson and all this kind of crazy stuff. But the problem is with Drake, even a great record, it just gets thrown in a bin with a which is over full of great records. So it's a great record, but you know what? It's it there's going to be 15 others like it in the next 3 years and they're all going to be great. None of them are shit, but it's just for Drake to stand out now he has to deliver something above a 9.5 for him to be better than himself never mind good enough for us this record last week's good enough for us but you know for him to go all yeah. time now he's really playing like he's he's in the minutia now of, of how to out, out outdo himself because he's just made all the hits it, it, for him now it's just an album game 
He's just got to make sure that his albums are, you know, masterpieces. They, they've just got to be that because all these records that he's dropping, you know, any collab that he does, whatever, like you said, it's just, it's just another great record from Drake. And it's just keeping people interested in him. He's just keeping in the zeitgeist. That's all he's doing. And that, mm. like, I'm not saying that in a flippant way. He's doing the right thing. He's doing what he should be doing and what is obviously naturally his DNA and collabing with some new up-and-coming artists, British artists, Central Seas in that video, you know? So, like, he's he's mm. staying on the cusp of everything kind of culture, but in order for him to wow anybody, because, you know, people just get gassed. Oh, great record, da-da-da, and people just get gassed, but they're not really looking at it from the lens of his entire catalogue. He just needs to drop a great album every year, and, and he, he won't... At some point, people like you, people like me, at some point, it might take some time, Will the interest will wane, right? It'll just be like, okay, cool, it's another Drake record I've had. Like you just said, look, I've just heard it once and just moved on kind of thing, you know? And you wouldn't normally do that. So mm. to keep the interest of like someone like you, someone like me, someone like any one of our peers, he needs to drop a solid album every year that can't be criticized as such do you know what i mean it's got to be a work mm. of art so mm. there you go cool no more content yeah shout outs yeah shout out so big <clears throat> excuse me big shout out to our boy abs who uh is it's his birthday today so happy birthday abs um i don't know man what can we say about abs abs came up well abs started carrying our equipment when he was 16 <laughs> when we were DJing. yeah somewhere between 16 and so, 18 i remember i was uh i was with the lester family and this abs who i've known since he was much younger I remember just thinking to myself this guy's freakishly tall now 16 17 and he just wanted to be down and like many people he was given a shot but like very few people he really really ran with it he ran with it more than a lot of people a lot of people have come around wanting to work work around does and uh, he's done super well so a shout out to him and uh, his whole family who we're very close to but happy birthday bro just keep hustling speaking of ksi he's on that team so you know i know his world is is extremely exciting between all of the stuff that ksi is doing uh, in his ecosystem so yeah big up abs man a wonderful birthday we never get to see him on his birthday i've got to make sure that changes in the coming years but yeah big ups yeah man happy birthday abs and uh, another little another big happy birthday for my niece mia it was her birthday three four days ago 19th of jan so my uh, my my younger brother shamik it's uh, his little daughter turned two um just a just a cute just a just a bundle of cuteness just a yeah. beautiful little girl so happy smiley all the time so happy birthday to mia um yeah that's it man happy birthday to mia Happy birthday, little Mia. Uh, what's good about this, actually, about this podcast is, obviously, when it comes to us, she obviously doesn't really know us per se in that sense, certainly not a personality perspective. Might get some name, image, and likeness popping, but not much more than that. And uh, But it's nice that these podcasts are recorded with these shout-outs so that in the future she can see them so that's a, that's a nice feeling so happy birthday no, 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 no. Mia. speak for yourself she, she knows who i am <laughs> really by name uh, no well she she calls me Ada. so for anyone that doesn't know it's dad's older brother so she yeah so she's got Adda. a name for so you she's got name she's got name image and likeness that's good yeah 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 so the, yeah, co the contract is are. valid yeah 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 fair enough yeah you had a couple as well right 
Yeah, I got a couple. So I wanted to shout out uh, Nimi Meta. We spoke about she she left Channel 4 recently. Uh, she's let the world know now that she's with Dubai One. She looks like she's really doing her thing. Her schedule looks awful. Uh, she, her output on Instagram has like tripled or quadrupled in terms of the amount of stuff that she's doing. But she's a former client and she's a alumni from the four Ps uh, of content. So always love to see her doing well. Uh, and now that she's on TV, she becomes the second person to come that's, that's spent time in our ranks that's found themselves on TV. We've got nothing to do with her going on TV, FYI. But I'm just saying, like, it's amazing that she's kind of like able to ascend through there. So big up to her. Speaking of radio, radio talent, Pretty Malik. So when I was over at um, the joint the other day, Ja Rule, yesterday, so I saw Pretty. And, you know, you and I were at a meeting recently. And she walked in. And I was like, ah, it's not really, you know, she sat down to have something to eat. I was like, now's not really the time to kind of step out of our meeting and go and say what's up. But, you know, we're all in the concert. The concert had like a club vibe. It's like being in a club. So I went over, said, yo, you know, I definitely see you doing your thing. And, you know, these are our mutuals and blah, blah, blah. And she was mad cool, man. She's from New York City and uh, dressed super fly, just doing her thing in, in the concert. And uh, just wanted to say shout out to her. It's nice, you know. You see, people's, see people on billboards and, like, it's a very Dubai thing to just see them out and about. And I figured that was the day to go over and say hello. So... Big up to Pretty Malik. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple, a couple of a couple of interesting things in and around what she's doing. We'll talk more about that if, as and when. You know what I mean? And uh, shout out to uh, our friend Paula. Uh, big up for the invite uh, on the yacht a couple of days ago. Shout out to my friend Kanika, who's just uh, turned 40 and got herself a fat crib. She threw an ill party. Uh, I want to give a shout out to her business, Leela's Lunches. If you need food for your kids i guess for their school or lunch or whatever they've got like one of those solutions search for leela's lunches here in dubai and um yeah obviously you know uh, we could we, we talk about flow as like being one of the biggest critics of the show but yeah i want to give a flow flow a shout out as well for uh the hookup for jar rule concert and apologies to sal because me and sal were talking we we're scheming on going and i wasn't going to go it was a write-off like i'd been to you know this housewarming and that was literally a baby shower and uh, and I got the message like, yo, I got a ticket, come. So I went, uh, but upon reflection, had things not been so quick and had I not been as loose off the martini that afternoon at the housewarming party, um, I should have told Sal. But yeah, hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll listen to this podcast, get hyped and excited, and then uh, we'll all be able to go again at some point in the future. So that's it, man. That's Algo. How long did we go today? We've got a separate audio record. Let us know if you're listening to today's episode, if the audio quality is better. Typical, we went an hour and 40 so do we do we do birthdays ahead of time or after what's our kind of, do we have any kind of protocol on that i'm zero protocol on that but I, I, I really don't care as long as i don't forget whose birthday it is i consider that a massive win i'll give somebody well, a birthday shout out now for the beginning of march just to make sure that i've mailed it in so then, <laughs> so then let's do it for sal then just talking of sal because his yeah. birthday is coming up in a couple of days i think it's on the 24th i said to like it's technically tomorrow yeah 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 it's technically tomorrow so he turns the big 4-0 so happy birthday in advance or belated or on the day depending on when you listen to this sal happy birthday yeah yeah huge huge shout out to sal sal is so sal's so, such an important part of this podcast and actually he's like that's where i do all of my rehearsals for my thoughts and my like you know when i take a position on a news story it happens during our 5k walks in the morning so shout out to sal for being part of the algo team also big up to Wes, 
Neil, Kyron, Kish, Jessel, Bal, Arjun, and Alex. Alex is traveling this week, so last couple of days with his core family, so he's not on the podcast, but hopefully midweek we'll get him on. And also, some interesting news, actually. We might even be doing our first ever overseas algo. Oh, well, as in, I guess we've all been overseas at different points, but overseas somewhat in person. More information about that to come. It's coming up in February. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a five-star rating on Spotify and a five-star rating on review and review on Apple really helps us get discovered as well as subscribes, likes, and comments inside of YouTube. Distribution seems to be going up. I see. I, I saw again a couple of people this week that said, big up, I like the podcast. So very grateful to you guys. And uh, we'll speak to you all next week. Peace.